sale or been exposed to a sale that you just couldn't believe and you couldn't help but tell everybody about it. Well, there's a sale, there's this new store that's coming to town in the last couple of years and they sell Hickey Freeman suits. I don't know how many of you know about Hickey Freeman suits, but they go for about $1,300 and that's a little bit more than I want to spend on a suit. Um, but this store sells them for half price. So they're about $650. That's still a little bit more than I want to spend on a suit. But I got to tell you, this week, they're on sale. You buy one, you get one free. So just want to let you guys know about that. <laughs> now, I think you're understanding a little bit what I'm trying to say here. If you have some good news, and I understand that there's a great suit sale, and I know you like suits, and I don't tell you about it, one of two things is happening. I don't understand how good it is, or I don't care about you. Does that make sense? If there is a sale that good, and I know you need that suit, Either I don't understand how good it is, or I don't care about you. I think um, that certainly is, is obviously a direct correlation to the good news of the gospel. But I think also, just to be fair with us, I think oftentimes we do not realize how good this gift of salvation is. And I think that is a big problem that we do fall over. But also... I think we get distracted by our own lives and also our expectations of God. When God disappoints us, when we expect one thing and then it doesn't happen and we think something's wrong with God because our picture of God is so small. It's like we have a God box and we expect this great creator God we, which we believe created everything we believe he's all-powerful. We believe he knows everything. And we believe he loves us eternally. And yet, when our expectations aren't met, then there's something wrong with God. But what's wrong with God is our God box is too small. And we can't be surprised with the fact that when we get surprised with, it, with, with circumstances around us, then we need to be able to open up and understand that God is bigger than our expectations of God. Now look at uh, the story of Jonah and the what? The whale. Jonah and the whale. We all learned that in Sunday school, Jonah and the whale. But you know, um, if, if you look at that, it's, it's, uh, it sounds like the moral in Sunday school books is oftentimes... If you run away from God, God's going to get you. And yet at the end of the book of Jonah, I think it, it shows a real powerful point that we often miss in the, uh, in the children's books. And so let me just read just the, the end of it. I don't expect you to turn from it because I'll be jumping all over uh, today. But if you remember Jonah, he goes through the whole experience with the whale, which I'm not going to go into. And he's being called by God to Nineveh. 
Well, Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. He hated their culture. He despised them. He didn't want to have anything to do with Nineveh. You want me to go there? Are you kidding me? How often do we think of that? We don't tell anybody. But there's certain people that we know need the Lord, but ugh. And we say all the politically correct things and so on and so forth, but we struggle. We think it's kind of hopeless. And we look at ourselves and we say, well, it's hopeless. And me? No, I couldn't do it. Look at me. So in other words, we're saying, I'm hopeless to really address that issue or be effective on that mission field. So here we have Jonah, disgusted by the people of, of Nineveh, can't stand him. As a matter of fact, when he finally goes to Nineveh, what does he do? He goes into the city of Nineveh, and he says, in 40 days, that's the end of Nineveh. He doesn't say, repent, and you'll live. He don't want them to live. He says, in 40 days, that's it, you're gone. But something happened that Jonah didn't expect. They repented. The king repented. They fasted. And God' mercy was on the city. And so the story picks up at the very end. I'm just going to go for the, the very close of the book because it closes very abruptly. But we need to look at this point because I think it speaks really loudly to us today. So here we have... Jonah, he goes off east of the city because he's expecting the city to be obliterated by God. He certainly doesn't want to be in there when that happens. And he goes off in a place where he can watch the fireworks. Okay, you ever go off and watch the fireworks on the 4th of July? You want to be far enough away, but you want to watch it. Well, this is Jonah. He's, he's way far away. And then, you know, the whole thing about the God makes this vine to grow to give him shade, and then a worm comes and eats the vine in the sun, and now the vine... Uh, withers and he doesn't have a shade and he's really upset about this vine and so this is a conversation with God but God said to Jonah do you have the right to be angry about that vine I do he said I'm angry enough to die but the Lord said you've been concerned about this vine yet you did not tend it or make it grow it sprang up overnight and died overnight but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And then the book's over. That's it. We leave the hero of the story out there with a withered vine, and he is ticked. And why? Can you, I mean, I can just imagine what this man was thinking. I went into that city for three days and looked like a fool. I walked around there telling everyone they're going to be obliterated, and I'm sitting here, and it's not going to happen. And not only that, I'm hot, I'm hungry, I am cranky. You ever get cranky when you get hungry? And then you're out there working all this time, and what God said was going to happen doesn't happen. Why? Because the character of God shone through. His mercy shone through. And yet, he is, instead of sitting there and saying, okay, I know, God, you can do everything. I know you're a God of truth and mercy. Let me learn from what's going on around me. Show me what I have to pick up in this time of desperation. He gets angry with God and starts in, railing in his face about this vine and all this other stuff. Don't we sometimes act like a child like that? 
And what does God say here? I love this city. Jonah, I love this city. You're so focused on this little vine. Your world is encompassed by what you see in your circumstances. You're focused on a vine. And upon your comfort, shouldn't I be concerned about this city? I found myself not too long ago in a very similar circumstances, railing at God. And yes, um, sometimes I will do that, like a child. And you know, I don't think it's disrespectful. I think we can um, bring our worst to God and be our worst sometimes before God, and he's big enough to handle that. And he is our father, and he wants to have a real communication with us. And so it was just three weeks ago. I know the Rob family's having a, a wedding, uh, and I had a wedding. My daughter, Lynn, my beautiful, precious daughter, Lynn, was getting married, my last to get married. She's getting married in Baltimore, and she's always no loved the nature, so she's getting married in an arboretum. So I went down there with my wife, and we checked out the arboretum. We found the place. We're going to set up the chairs here and have an outdoor wedding, and then everyone's going to go into the big tent, beautiful white tent we're going to set up for the reception and it's just going to be magnificent. And it was just wonderful, beautiful day when we're there. The sun was shining. And we started thinking about, well, maybe we should have uh, something for people to get too hot and so on and so forth. The day of the wedding comes. I wake up 6 o'clock in the morning. It's an 11 o'clock wedding. And I hear rain. Pouring rain. And I get up and I walk over to the window. And I look out the window. And it is pouring. And I say, God, do you know whose wedding is today? Do you remember that girl? Do you remember Lynn? That girl who loves you? Do you remember that girl who has spent an hour with you every morning since she was 8 o'clock? Do you remember who Lynn is? Do you remember when she testified for you at her graduation? Do you remember this girl? Do you remember who Lynn is? And he said, do you remember who I am? How my rain comes down in my garden and the water goes up into my plants and produces the fruit that I designed for each individual plant. Do you remember who I am? Just as my spirit flows through my people, and produces my desired fruit through my people. Do you remember who I am? Do you remember what I promise for those who hear my word and put it into practice? And what I promise for my people who, who, who hear my word and don't put it into practice? Those who hear my word and don't put it into practice are like the foolish man who built their house upon the sand. The rains come down, the waters rise up, the winds blow and beat against that house and it falls with a great crash. But those, and this is the promise, and this is still God lashing me a little bit. Do you remember what I promised? I promised the same rains to come down. I promised the same floods to rise up. I promised the same winds to blow and to beat against your house. And I also promise 
not to be out in front of you to give you that perfect weather that you expect on your daughter's, on your daughter's wedding, but to be beneath you, to support you within the circumstances because when the storm is done, you will stand. Now, go out there and through your attitude, testify that you believe that I love our little girl and I'm going to give her the perfect weather for her wedding. And that was the end of it. My daughter came in with my wife about that time and she said, we have to make the call. Are we going to move the wedding into the tent? And we moved the wedding into the tent. And my family had come from all over the country. And we went out there, and in the rain, in our suits, in our gowns, the, the temperature plummeted into about 60 degrees. It was freezing. Nobody had proper coats. And we worked together to move everything into that tent. And by the time it was time for the wedding, we were soaking wet through and through. And then when the wedding was over, and I'm looking, and my daughter was radiant. She was joyful. And you would never know that a single raindrop fell on that day. And we worked together, and we finished it all up in the rain. And when we went home, we were freezing to the bone, and we took hot showers, and then we met together, and we had a meal together. And late into the night, 32 members of my family gathered together and had the best time ever. We hadn't seen each other all together at the same time for 15 years. And what had God done? We expected God, I seriously expected God to give us son. I never even considered rain. But what God did was blessed my family as we worked together. We struggled together. We got it done well. And my daughter, with her relationship with her Heavenly Father, nothing was wrong. Later on when I talked to her, she, she hadn't even, I don't know why, I can't figure it. But the blessing that came out of that, and if you think about it, what better blessing can God give to a family on a time when you celebrate an expansion of the family than to bless the family, to unite a family that hasn't been together for 15 years by giving them something to do together under difficult circumstances? Do you know what I'm saying? But so easy, it, it's, it's so easy for us to expect one thing from God and then to totally miss the blessing that God is taking place. Can we go to our daughter's wedding and see the rain and yet expect the rain of our Heavenly Father who does love? Will we trust our feelings and doubt God or doubt God and trust our feelings? I think I said that wrong. Will we trust our feelings and doubt God or trust God and doubt our feelings? Expectations, we trip over them so often. So God uses times like that to help us understand his character so that when we go into the world, 
the world who is in a hopeless situation, not understanding the love of the Heavenly Father, not understanding the, or experiencing the forgiveness of past, the, the grace and the strength to face the difficult uh, storms, which we all face in life, and the hopelessness of not having the eternity secure. So he uses these circumstances in our lives to give us that strength so that we can be this witness to the world as they go through their trials and their hopelessness. Second Kings, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a very long passage, but I'll, I'll tell the story. It's, the, it's when um, sometime later, Ben-Hadon, king of Aram, mobilized his entire armory, marched up, and laid siege to Samaria. So the city of Samaria was a walled city, and this king came and put his army around the city so nobody could come and nobody could go, and he was starving the city to death. No fight, he was starving them to death. And what was going on in that city? It was so bad, the famine was so bad that they were eating donkey heads, the dung of doves. Now when I read that, I thought, the dung of doves. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm so hungry that I'm going to eat the dung of a dove, I would have already ate the dove, so there couldn't be any dung. I mean, I couldn't figure, I couldn't figure that one out. But the dung of doves, and then it says that the king of Israel was walking along the wall, and a woman calls out and says, help me, king, help me. And the king goes, where? What, am I going to open up the wine press? Do I have all this food to help you? If God won't help you, how can I help you? And he says, King, my friend and I both have babies. And we decided that we'll eat her baby today and tomorrow we'll eat my, or we'll eat my baby today and tomorrow we'll eat hers. Yesterday we ate my baby and today she has hidden hers. So it was so bad, it was cannibalism in this city. That's how hopeless it was. And there is the king on the wall. He tears his clothes. He has nothing to say. In the story, he walks away from these women. He doesn't say, hey, listen, don't eat that other baby. He says nothing. He walks away, and he's so angry. He's dealing with this poor woman with sarcasm, and then he walks away, and he says, may God deal with me ever so strongly if I don't cut off the head of Elijah. And he heads off to go to Elijah to kill Elijah because he knows this famine is from God. That's his thinking. The king of Israel, that's his thinking. He has nothing to give to this woman in need. Nothing. He's empty. And he's going to blame it all on God. Don't we do that? When we come into situations, if we haven't spent our time with our Lord, abiding in him and allowing him to fill us, uh, uh, a missionary was once asked, how come sometimes I feel so close to God and sometimes I feel so empty? And he says it's because we leak. And he says a broken pitcher needs to stay under the tap in order to be full. How often do we encounter difficult circumstances and we're empty because we haven't been abiding in Christ on a daily basis? And we have nothing to give to that person who needs some sort of hope. And then we turn and we blame God himself. But compare that to Elijah. Elijah is in his house with other 
godly people, the elders. And he knows that the king is coming to kill him. Why? Because he's been spending time with God and God gave him that information. And so he's sitting there waiting and he knows what's going to happen. What a contrast. The king of Israel walking around just total, has nothing to do with the people, has nothing to offer them, no hope. Blaming God, and then we have Elijah and these men in the room together, like a church, abiding in Christ. And it's through him, uh, when the king comes to him, then Elijah says, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. A say of flour will sell for a shekel, and two says of barley will, sh- will sell for a shekel at the gates of Samaria. In other words, food is going to be so plentiful, it's going to be cheap. And they go, you've got to be kidding me. And so the, the officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? And Elijah says, you will see it with your own eyes, but you'll not eat of it yourself. How often are we like that? Now, this man of God says this, but this, this officer on whose arm the king was leaning, he sees with his eyes, and yet he doesn't know the God who can do out of nothing, who says, let there be light, and there was light. How can we worship God knowing he can do all things and look at a people and say it's hopeless? And I'm preaching to myself here. How often do I come into a family and I shake my head? And I say, this is hopeless for generation after generation. This family has lived like this. It's hopeless. And yet, that tells more about my eyes and where I'm looking than on the character of God. Because the character of God is that he can do all. And we need to open our God box wider to understand who God is. So there's the officer. The king, the king um, sees it and has nothing to give. Elijah's abiding in Christ, and the officer sees it as hopeless. And then, this is, this is my favorite part, the siege is lifted. And what does, God look, how, what does God use to bless Israel? Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the gate. They said to each other, why should we stay here? Now, why were they outside the gate? Now, you know, the the army was outside the gate. The the gates were closed, and the other army was um, not allowing anything to go in and out, starving them, and yet these four lepers were outside the gate. It's because lepers were not allowed inside the city because no one wanted to catch it. So the lepers would stand outside the gate, and when people came and went, they would give alms. They would beg, and that's how they made their living. Standing at the city gate, they'd make a living. But if the gate is closed and no one's coming and going, those lepers are dying. So they, they, sit, they stand there and they say, if we stand here, we're going to starve to death. If we go into the city, well, they're starving to death. We'll starve there too. We're going to go to the enemy's camp. And if they kill us, well, we're dead anyway. But they might imprison us and give us some food and then we live. I thought that was pretty logical um, thinking. So what did they do? So at dusk, At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Armenians. When they reached the camp, not a man was there. 
For the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled at dusk. Four lepers leave to go to the camp of the Armenians at dusk. At dusk, they hear this great army. And I want to tell you what God did. God amplified the sounds of those four lepers' feet so that the Armenians heard this great army coming. And that is a picture of what God does when he calls us in the ministry. We are like lepers. How often when you hear the opportunity, say, to spend two hours a week with a, a fatherless child or an orphan, you think, oh, okay, well, I'm not a social worker. I'm not a teacher. I'm not this. I'm, don't we look at ourselves and we say, I'm not capable of doing this. What if I see them and I don't have anything to say? What if I'm not? And when we say that I'm not, we're pointing at God and saying he's not. Because he chooses to call us, like the memory verse says, to make disciples of all nations, each of us. Winky Pratt says that a missionary is not one who crosses the seas, but one who has seen the cross. And all who have seen the cross are called to go. And then we as lepers, understanding that we are incapable of so much, has to know that God will amplify our footsteps. So what happens? If you can imagine this, these guys are dying. And they, they go into the camp. So they got up. Uh, uh, the other army fled at dusk and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys. Now their horse and their donkeys were sitting there. Remember back in the city they were eating donkeys' heads, right? They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The man who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one tent. They ate and drank and carried off the silver and the gold and the, and the clothes, and they went off and hid it. So they went in, and <laughs> the food was already prepared and on the table ready for them. They had a feast. Then they went in these people's closets and took all their best clothes. They went through their top drawer and took all their silver and their gold. And then they went and hid it someplace, dug a hole and hid it. So what happens? Now these lepers who were dressed in rags are dressed in fine clothes. Their bellies are filled. Their future is secure because they have all these riches hidden away for later. And they stand there and say, ah, oh, we better go tell the people in the city. Now do we understand the difference between the circumstances of those lepers and their perspective? These lepers had their bellies filled. They were clothed. They had their future taken care of. Their attitudes were just a little bit different than those in the city. They had a little bit more to offer in terms of hope for the future than those who are in the city. Do we really realize what we have when we accept Jesus as Lord? What we have to face the storms of life that we all encounter? One of the hardest times in my life was when um, my father and my mother, they retired, and they went on a trip. On this trip, my mother fell off her bicycle, hit her head, had severe brain injury, and was in the hospital. They had to remove part of her skull. 
and she was in the hospital and she was dying. And we sat there at her bed knowing that basically her brain was gone, she was gone, and her body, her heart was beating 200 beats a minute. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where someone you love that dearly, they're really gone, but their body is still going hour after hour after hour, sitting on her bed, holding her hand, knowing that she's really gone, but her body is still there. My father was there, my sister was there, my wife was there, and my father had been up for several days, and he was older. So finally, I said, I'm going to go into the other room. I just needed a break. We had been sitting there for 14 hours or so, and it was exhausting. And I went, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning at this time, and we were on the ninth floor of this hospital, and it was in Portland. And I laid down on a blue vinyl-covered couch. Ever lay on a blue vinyl-covered couch? I mean, it sticks to your cheek. And so I'm laying there, and I couldn't sleep. I knew I wasn't going to sleep, and I'm trying to process this. I never really dealt with death of someone so close to me. It's my mother. And I'm trying to process this. I'm alone in the waiting room. And as I'm laying there, these two people come in. And I'm just pretending I'm going to be asleep. And the man walks over to the window, and he looks out the window, and he says, the world is so dark. It's hopeless. The world is so dark. It's just so hopeless. And he keeps saying it over and over, the world is so dark. And his wife was across the room, sitting on a chair, holding herself, rocking back and forth, saying over and over like her husband, but she was saying, what am I going to tell the children? What am I going to tell the children? Over and over, what am I going to tell the children? The world is so dark. There's just no hope. What am I going to tell the children? And I'm laying there, and I felt this sense that I'm supposed to go to him. And I said, God, are you kidding me? My mother is dying. You want me to go minister to them? So I get up, and I walk over to the woman. What am I going to tell the children, she says to me. Her husband is of absolute no use to her. Why? What does he have to offer her? So I said, well, what happened, ma'am? She says, my daughter had a brain aneurysm, and she's, she's in there. She, she was in the bed next to my mother's. There was just a curtain between our beds. She says, she's dying. She has two little babies, and her husband had left her two years ago. What am I going to tell the children? And I pull up a chair, and I said, sir, would you like to sit with us? And he comes over, and he sits down. And I said, well, um, does she have any faith? And he goes, well, what do, you, what do you mean? I said, well, um, did she go to church or anything like that? No, 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 no. What am I going to tell the children? I said, ma'am, I have no idea. But let's pray. And we'll talk to the one who does. And I took their hands. And we prayed. And I asked God to comfort these grandparents and these parents. I said, God, please bless these children through these grandparents and give them words to tell the children. And I got up.
and I walked into my mother's room. And as I walked in, my father was laying down on top of my mother. He had his right hand under the small of her back. And his left hand was cradling her head. And this man who can't sing a song, can't sing a note, was singing. And he sang, now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the length of time alone. But for eternity. And he got up and he kissed her and my sister let him out to go to the hotel to get some rest. And I sat down on the bed and I realized these two families were divided by a curtain. Dealing with the same rains, the same storms, the same winds. And yet it was so different. Because we have a different perspective. We have the Lord within us. And we have an eternal purpose. The world is not dark. It is not hopeless. We have somebody, something to share with people that we love that are going through difficulty. That man, I'm thinking of that poor guy. He's so used to solving the problems in his life, thinking that he's, as a man, is supposed to fix everything. He had nothing to offer his wife who was in pain. He just looked out and said, it is so hopeless. And yet here's my family. My father saying goodbye to his beloved wife and entrusting her into the hands of the Lord that they had served together. That's huge. What a difference. Do we share this good news? Think of those lepers. We sometimes say, like, what am I going to say? Who cares what are we going to say? We're to step forward, and if God gives us words, we're to say the words. If he doesn't give us words, we say nothing. When that woman said, what am I going to tell the children? I said, I don't know what you can tell the children. Because what could I say to that woman? She had no shared concept of eternity. Am I going to tell her what she, where her daughter is going to go? I can't tell her that. I had nothing to give her except for to pray for her and to allow God to give to her. And I believe he did. Those four lepers were in this camp of salvation, clothed with new clothes, bellies filled. Their, their future was secured, but all they had hidden. They went back to the city, and these four lepers who were used to standing in front of the city gates, used to the gatekeepers seeing them as nothing but beggars, they stood there and they announced the good news. And for some reason, the gatekeeper believed them enough to wake the king, which he could have been put to death for. Why? Because those four beggars were different. They were transformed. 
they stood there knowing that they had come from the camp of salvation. And that is us. We don't realize what we have. Can you imagine the people who go through trying to have a child and can't have a child, and then when they have a child, the child dies a day later? What do they have if they don't know the gift of God and his eternal purpose and that he loves them? That is what we have. That is who we are. Are you willing to face the rains in your life, the circumstances in your life, and trust God and doubt your feelings? And allow him to show you his love through bad circumstances. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to abide with him every day, realizing, yes, you are a leper? But that because of what Christ did on the cross, he no longer sees your spots. Your past is forgiven, your future is secure, and you can walk today boldly knowing that when the storms are done, you stand. Are you willing to be a leper and to step out and communicate the good news that there is a camp of salvation and that you have come from it and that you have known it and you have eaten of it and you've been clothed by it? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And Heavenly Father, we ask you to expand our understanding of who you are and give us courage that when we don't have the right words to say that it's okay not to say anything and that we don't have to have all the knowledge or all the words, that when you want us to speak, you will give us the words. And then when you give us those words, Lord, help us to be bold enough to allow them to go. Father, I pray that you would enable us to look past the circumstances of our life and to look to you, to look to your character, to spend the time in your word to know better who you are so we can not have to be like what I was at that wedding when I doubted you. Father, thank you that we can hear your voice, and I pray that you would sharpen our ears to know your voice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.